0: That's where the quality of those prawns should actually be. There's not a lot of them, you know. We're talking about 1,800 to 2,000 tonne a year. That prawn really needs to focus on going to the better restaurants in Australia. And, um, and if it's celebrated like that, then everybody will do much better for it. This is Fishtails,
1: a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Growing up in Port Lincoln, a kid is surrounded by a close-knit and supportive community with a strong sense of pride in the town's heritage and traditions. The town is known for its laid-back and relaxed lifestyle, and many residents enjoy spending time outdoors, exploring the natural beauty of the surrounding area. Fishing and seafood play a large role in the local economy, and as a result, kids growing up in Port Lincoln are often exposed to the industry from a young age. They may have the opportunity to participate in fishing and boating activities, learn about the local marine environment and its importance to the community. Growing up as a fifth generation fisherman in a town like Port Lincoln is a unique experience, steeped in tradition and a strong connection to the sea. Fishing is not just a job, but a way of life passed down from generation to generation. And it's a source of pride for the family and the community. From a young age, kids learn the skills and knowledge necessary to be successful in the seafood industry. For Andy Puglisi, growing up as a fifth generation fisherman in Port Lincoln, gave him a unique and rich cultural heritage, as well as a deep connection to the sea and the environment. Throughout his career, he and his family business, Kinkawuka, have moved from prawn fishing to tuna ranching and mussel farming. In this special three-part interview, we hear about Pugsy's life as a fifth-generation Port Lincoln waterman.
0: Hi, I'm Andrew Puglisi. I'm a fifth-generation fisherman who is based in Port Lincoln, South Australia. I grew up in Port Lincoln, South Australia. I was born in Ballina when I was about 12 months old, the old man was prawn fishing in, in Ballina and uh, moved to move, uh, instead of going to uh, the Gulf of Carpentaria um, where his mates were going to go catch prawns up in 1967 uh, here, we, uh, we moved down to Port Lincoln and he started up prawn fishing in Spencer Gulf, and uh, I've been there yeah, all my life Port Lincoln is a beautiful little place, and it's it's really evolved over time. But it's a it's 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 one of Australia's largest, most diverse, um, most diverse fishing ports with uh, the the different amounts of fish that are there to catch, uh, and uh, the volumes that actually go through the through the port are, uh, a major part of um, of the Australian produce. My father was uh, was my idol type of thing, so I always was going to be a prawn fisherman, you know. So I grew up there helping the old man mend nets and, uh, um, and 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 that type of thing. So and whenever he went prawn fishing, the next door neighbours knew I was. He'd go on fishing because they could hear me screaming from across the road. So I um, I I was a fisherman and I. I always wanted to be a fisherman, and uh, I uh, left school and after year eleven, and mum was kicking and screaming, trying to get me to stay for a bit longer. But um, I, uh, I got out of there, and my apprenticeship was on a prawn trawler. So um, yeah, I did that for twenty years, and it um, it was a, it was it was an education that uh, set me up for where I am today.
1: Life as a deckhand on a prawn boat is a unique and challenging experience. Offering a young boy the chance to learn new skills from close relationships and develop a deep appreciation for the sea and the fishing industry. It's a demanding but ultimately rewarding way of life that gets deep into the DNA of an aspiring fisherman.
0: I worked, at, I worked for some Croats. Um, they were driving the boat and I was the young, the young owner's son who got beaten up a bit you know, the, over the time and... It got me uh, it gave me an education on, uh, and and, and uh, it made me grow up pretty quick in the real world you don't you can't you can't play the games you used to play at school in the real world so it was um really exciting times you know the fishery was strong and booming and uh, I just sat there knowing that I was going I wanted to I wanted to be a fisherman, I wanted to drive a boat and and um, and it was something that I uh, I spent seven years on the deck, learnt the, learnt the, started at the bottom, worked my way up through the through the ranks to run the deck for the last four or five years. I was on the deck and and drove the boat for the for the for the next uh, thirteen fourteen years, and um, and that got me through to two thousand. Um, and uh, I came off the uh, prawn trawl to help the old man uh, run the uh, our tuna farm so we got involved in tuna farming in 91 and uh, i um, uh, it's just it was getting bigger a bigger venture for us at the time and he needed a hand so i came off the boat which at the time was uh, my heart and soul and and I, I really did love going to see the see all the different things that you could you know that the sunsets sunrises and putting in a really hard day's work which Any fisherman that that goes to sea does and has to do to, to survive, to make a living.
1: The Spencer Gulf prawn fishery has undergone significant changes over the years, reflecting the broader changes and challenges facing the seafood industry. While these changes have been driven by a variety of factors, the overarching goal has been to ensure the long term viability and sustainability of the fishery, while also meeting the growing demand for premium seafood.
0: I started on the prawn boat in 1984. Um, the old man had been there since, 80, uh, since 1968, um, the first year that it actually started. And it evolved as a as a as a boom and bust type of fishery, as as all all prawn fishing does throughout the world. Um, they. Uh, Go out. They'd have they catch the prawns until there was nothing left, and then they'd come home. Type of thing. They were. It was quite an interesting, uh, you know, forward thinking from the fishermen themselves. And this came from the fishermen. It didn't actually come from government. It came in. They they said if we keep doing this, we'll end up with nothing. And it this this let's try and, and nurture. Let's try and manage the fishery in a way that they can get more out of it over a longer period of time. At that time, they were fishing up to 120 days a year, maybe even more, um, and they recognised that by reducing the uh, the days at sea, they could uh, still catch the same amount and make as much money as they were before without putting the effort into um, fishing you know, into that fishery. So then they started out... and. The fishermen come up with the idea, but it is absolutely in conjunction with the, the South Australian government, and the South Australian government were very forward-thinking. They had some really great man, uh, fisheries managers at the time. I can't remember their names, but um, they were instrumental in actually getting this, uh, a system in that they could manage the fishery, uh, recognise the peak times to go to sea, and... The spawning times, avoid the spawning time, so the fish would would be able to spawn. There was the juveniles going back into the into the sea and um, and fish for the, the product that they had for next year. All that sort of stuff was really important, and they have honed that over the um, the next forty years of which they've. Uh, where it is today which is is a very well managed fishery they recognize when the peaks are and there's two different seasons one pre-christmas in november december and they'll do around 12 to 15 days of fishing at that time and um they uh they catch the fish when it's um just before uh just just after they've spawned and making sure that, they, yeah, catching the fish just after they've spawned and really making sure that um, they, they, they catch the fish when it's a nice hard shell and it's a really high quality. And then there's another season that happens in, um, uh, from uh, after Christmas in the run time of year when there's a large volume of, of, the, of the large medium-sized prawn, you know, your 10, 15 and your 16, 20. That happens between um, March through to the end of June in four trips. And um, they'll do about 40 days of fishing at that time of year, 35 to 40 days. The beauty of all that is they've, they, they, don't, they don't go out, before, they go out fishing, let's get this straight so it doesn't sound stupid. They go out fishing um, uh, after the last quarter. And they fish through the dark of the moon, and when the and then they stop fishing uh, on the first quarter of the moon. This is the same in November, December, March, April, May, June. These are the peak times of catching the fish, and um, they've recognised that that that's when you get after the after, when the moon comes up. Our prawns in South Australia they bury, and they they so that uh, the catch when the moon comes up the, the catch is halved so they're putting effort they're putting um uh, uh, they're working the grounds for nothing really so they've ma- uh, they maximize their time at sea catch the most amount of fish in the short space of time and then um they, they leave the leave the fish leave the grounds to um to fallow for them to come back uh, in the next trip mm-hmm. The two peak trips of the year are in, uh, in uh, April, May. And, you know, some of those guys, some of those boats, they're sort of, they will catch um, you know anything up to five ton, five or six ton in one night. Um, it's traditionally a 50 ton fishery, 45 to 50 ton. They're on a bit of a, a, a down cycle at the moment where they're not catching as much as that. But um, it's been, they've been catching 45 to 50 ton for 50 days of fishing, a ton a night average is quite outstanding in the, in the prawn industry. The Spencer Gulf Prawn Fishing Fleet is a group of
1: commercial fishing vessels operating in the Spencer Gulf off the coast of South Australia. It's made up of a mix of small family run businesses and larger technologically driven and advanced companies. The fleet uses a range of fishing gear and technology to increase efficiency and reduce the impact on the marine environment. The fleet is a significant contributor to the local economy and provides employment and supports related businesses and services. Despite facing challenges from government policies and regulations, the fleet remains a vital part of the South Australian fishing industry, providing high quality prawns to local and international markets.
0: One of the things my old man and, there's, and, and some of the, uh, his mates have sort of really uh, um, shown the way with is by having a, the best equipment that you can uh, have gives you no excuses to um, uh, stop you from catching fish, making more money, doing better. And they've built these boats down there that are 22 metres long. They hold about 20 tonnes of pro- product in the, in the freezer. They can freeze, uh, the, and the better boats can freeze five tons of prawns per twenty four hours. And um, and you know the freezers on the old man's boat were you know forty five minus forty five degrees Celsius. So at those sort of temperatures, it's a pretty amazing sort of unit. So whenever you caught your fish, you could always uh, uh, always put that fish away and and have it as uh, as a, as the peak perfect prawn you know and that's what we're all trying to do is produce a product that the customer can get the best quality the best experience so they'll come back and buy it again the prawn boats themselves um you know because it's it's uh, they don't do a lot of work they are easy to keep into in a good in a good condition and they've 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 really built up the quality of those boats really making sure that everything that happens when they go to sea um is they can go and catch the prawn. The fisherie's managed on a um, night by night basis it's not a it's not a quoted fishery it 's a quoted time at sea so if you can't go to sea because you 've got a breakdown or for whatever reason then you that's the, that's the time that you miss um, that's the fish that you don't catch and, it can, and and you know that's a major part of what of uh, of you know you miss a few nights and that's that 's all your profit gone for the year so um They've the the the, quali- the the boats themselves, and when you go to sea, you go down there. It really they really do stand out. They're really great boats. They're really well looked after, and there's a lot of pride in the fleet there for what they're doing. You know, like um, well, traditionally, um, prawn fisheries in the world. You know, people that if you got enough money to put a boat together, you'll go out fishing. And that was recognised early on when they first started setting up the fishery, the management of this fishery, and they, re- they restricted the amount of vessels that are in, in the fleet. It is, uh, the amount of vessels now is 39 boats, and it's been that now for the last 40 years, or 30 years. Um, there's only 39 boats. They've only got um, two nets, they're only 22 metres long, they've only got 450 horsepower and um, uh, the size of the nets are, and the size of the mesh, all that there is restricted. So there's um, um, a consistent uh, amount of effort going into the fishery. So it's, it's very well managed and, there's a, and, and it's, a, it's a great formula and it's working really well. So they do average their ton of uh, prawns per night.
1: The Spencer Gulf King Prawn is a species of prawn highly valued for its sweet and delicate flavour and firm, juicy texture. The Spencer Gulf King Prawn is also prized for its sustainability, with responsible fishing practices ensuring the long-term viability of the fishery. It is a sought-after seafood in both local and international markets, highly valued by seafood lovers and chefs alike, and considered a delicacy in the basket of South Australia's seafood.
0: Spencer Gulf King is a really great prawn, you know. Like, um, it's it's got a, a it's it, it it's got a really um, it's got a really rich It has got a really rich flavour. It's got um, and it, it cooks well. And if you actually, uh, well, we, you know, I've done, we, John and I did a trip uh, to, to Europe a few, oh, 10 years ago now, maybe a bit longer. But looking at that, comparing our prawns to um, our prawn 2, the European uh, scarlet prawn and all those types of d- different prawns that are around there. And, and our prawn, uh, the, the Spencer Gulf King really did shape up well against all of those fish. And uh, it ate well. It eats really well. And, um, you know, when you, when you talk to guys like Mitch Tonks, the famous chefs that really, um, yeah, really dissect the quality of, a, of of, a product like that, you know, he, he says he couldn't eat a lot of them because they have such a rich flavor, but he did prefer that. Um, he, he said it, 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 um, it, uh, c- compared very favorably with the, the best prawns that he'd eaten out of Europe. Neil Perry's a he's one of our champions and and uh, yeah um, I'm not in the prawn fishery anymore but uh, Neil still does has has our, has uh, Spencer Golf Kings on the menu and it's always one of the fav- my favourite dishes to eat whenever I go and hang out with Neil he does a great job and yeah just uh, one of those big U6 U8 prawns one of those out of the out of the, out of the char grill oven. Um, It's a standard dish that I always buy whenever I go and have a meal there, and if anyone's got half a brain, they do the same as well. Life
1: as a fisherman can be a special and rewarding experience, offering a unique combination of adventure, challenge, independence, and connection to the natural world.
0: There's so many different things happen over the time, and, you know, just you know there's plane crashes and going looking for people in the water and you know all that sort of stuff there's plenty there's lots going on out there and there's lots of dozen too you know having some amazing you know when you're out there you're out there and you you, you can be anything up to 20 30 miles offshore from any shore and um so if a weather event comes uh, comes through and you're out there, you get the piss builded out of you trying to get out of the out of the, the wild the wild conditions. The cool part about the fishery is they're really really safety conscious as well, and they they've got a, a cut off um, when the, when the weather gets up over twenty five knots, when the wind's blowing twenty five knots, and it's very marginal when you go out there fishing they'll they'll call the night off and they'll add it on to the end of the trip you know they try to come up with the idea that you know oh we'll catch the prawns later well that never bloody happens you know but i'm a fisherman at heart and that's just the way it is but um at least everyone comes home safe so you had some amazing situations where you know great big season the whole the whole um, yeah, a wave hits the side of the boat and tries to wash you over, all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's really good. It's um, it's it's when I look back on it now, it was really great fun. It's a real adventure when you do go prawn fishing. The beautiful fish that you see um, is something that you don't get to experience in 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 um, uh, whenever you do stuff on land. Um, and at the same time, you know, like the boats that that I've, I've explained as how far, how how good they are at handling the fish and all the rest of it also are really well set up to returning the bycatch back into the sea as well they've got grading systems on the boat and 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 uh, so the prawns fall through but all the all the fish and the um, the uh, the crabs and all that sort of stuff that they do catch gets returned to the sea very quickly after um, coming being put on the vessel you know and the um it was all set up so it's all set up for efficiency on the boat but as it evolved it actually has been a sustainability thing where the bycatch goes back into the sea 90 over 90 95 percent of it all goes back alive um, and part of what we actually do is the style of fishing because you can't see prawns with um, the sonars or sounders or anything like that. They don't have a swim bladder so you can you can see the fish. So it's a lot of trial and error. You do a short shot, see if there's what the prawns are like there. You'll try another shot just not far away. Uh, I was better back where I was. You go to the north and check to see if they're up the north or are they down the south of that shot or you test it out to see where the most amount of prawns are. To get the most catch, the most fish. That's just it's just prawning one hundred and one. I'm not telling anything that boys don't do on a, our way or basis. So you'll do that, but in our fishery, because you haven't got time, there's, there's there, there, it's it's such a dynamic fishery, and you have to catch fish quite quickly. You'll only it's sort of um, the way the fishery has evolved. Is it's sort of come out at um, you know, an average shot will be around forty minutes. So that's why the bycatch doesn't actually get beaten up and, and killed before it actually gets onto the boat. Because on the boat, returned to the sea, most of it's actually swimming away. Neil Perry,
1: as one of Australia's leading chefs and restaurateurs, is known for his passion and love of the Spencer Gulf king prawn. Perry, who is widely regarded as one of Australia's leading culinary experts, has a deep appreciation for the unique flavour and quality of the prawns, which he regularly uses in his dishes. For Pugsy, a long standing relationship with Neil has helped him to understand exactly where his prawns end up.
0: Part of being a Fisherman 101 is you sell to a wholesaler and you don't actually know where the hell any of your fish end up. And part of my education of hanging out with John Sussman was to um, find out where the hell, who ate our fish, where it went to. And and that's where we're able to find out that our prawns go. to you know, they're, they're a staple in the in the supermarkets, um, at, uh, in the deli counter there. Um, and but they also go to and, and preferred by you know, some of the best restaurants in Australia. And as I mentioned earlier on, you know, restaurants like uh, Margaret and Rockpool that uh, Neil Perry championed you know, champion and owned, um those type of venues, uh, which really recognise uh, a premium quality fish premium quality prawn um, and that's where they end up and that's that's where the quality of the fish actually um, quality of those prawns should actually be there's not a lot of them you know we're talking about 1800 to 2000 tonne a year uh, the the that, that prawn really needs to focus on going to the better restaurants in Australia and um, and if it's celebrated like that then everybody will do much more better much better for it you know you know your wild catch prawn. It has got so much more um, diversity of of, of flavour. You know, and like we were talking about, you'll sit there and go, "Oh bloody hell, prawns taste like prawns." You know, that's crap. Yeah, but it's not that's not the case at all. If you actually sat down and sit sit the prawns down there side by side and actually taste the prawn, then. Um, yeah, there is a difference in 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 what the prawns actually taste like, and we we saw that in Spencer Gulf where you would catch the the prawns on the on the sandy bottom; they'd be quite pale, or you dig, or you you'd go over the the popcorn coral, coral um, uh, uh, zones, which was just south of uh, just in right in between Wallaroo and Cow. You know that that those fish were really uh, quite that popcorn coral was uh, quite a red fish. You know. And um, they all had slightly different flavours because you are what you eat, you know. If you eat, you know, and, and that, you know, we see that, I'm a muscle farmer as well, and that's, you really see that in what those, um, that fish eat, uh, eats. When you when you line side by side, you can really taste a slight variation in flavours, you know. And the same really comes out in the prawn. Regardless of the
1: reason, for the transition, making the switch from one fishery to another can be a major challenge for a fisherman and their family, requiring them to adapt new fishing methods, gear and regulations, as well as having to learn new markets and customers. However, with the right support and resources, many fishermen are able to make the transition successfully and continue to thrive in the fishing industry. In the next episodes of this three-part special, we'll hear about Pugsy's transition from prawns to fishing and farming the mighty' southern bluefin tuna, and then moving on to develop Australia's largest and preeminent mussel farming business.. This is Fish Tales, a seafood podcast. A deep in the weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Seafood Podcast, or email us at fishtalespodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.